Amen. All right, so we're continuing our series on uh, Return to Sender, gifts that we sometimes receive that we wish we hadn't received, and that maybe we want to return back to the sender. And so if you received the gift in our package today, you might feel threatened, you might see it as a threat, or you might see it as a tool, okay? Um, and so I'm needing to volunteer to stand against the wall. I'm going to throw this knife. Okay. Um, and so Proverbs 27, 17 is one of my uh, favorite uh, verses. I think we've got it on the screen. It says, iron sharpens iron. In this case, maybe steel sharpens steel. But iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And there's times in our life that we have relationships where um, friction happens. And, and in the course of that friction um, the, the dull uh, edges of our lives are sharpened and the rough edges of our lives are smoothed out. And God uses conflict uniquely in our lives to do that. And that's not to say that God is the author of every conflict, uh, but he certainly uses any conflict to sharpen us. And, you know, when conflict happens, it's kind of like waiting that we talked about last week. We rarely see conflict as a gift, Right. We rarely say, oh, man, I'm so thankful that I had the opportunity to be in this conflict with my spouse or my friend or my coworker or at church or whatever. Um, it's one of those gifts we'd rather not receive. Um, you know, but, but at the same time, conflict really should not be a surprise. If you think about the state of the world we're in, if you think about uh, the fact that we all struggle with sin, uh, anytime there's a close relationship, there's going to be conflict. It doesn't mean you're not close. It probably means there, there is some depth and some closeness to that relationship. Uh, but conflict isn't really a surprise. It's kind of like Ethan uh, told me the other day. He said, hey, Dad, uh, tomorrow I'm going to get you a camouflage screwdriver, but be surprised at Christmas, okay? And so um, it's kind of like getting a gift from Ethan. I mean, it's not really a surprise, uh, but still, conflict often takes us by surprise. And we say, where did that come from? What's this about? Relationships of any depth will experience conflict. Marriage, friendship, family, church. Package, we can either view all conflict as a threat, or we can view conflict as a tool. We can view conflict as an opportunity to glorify God, uh, to give grace to others and to grow in maturity. Conflict, we're going uh, to say this morning, is an opportunity to glorify God, to grow in maturity, and to give grace to other people. So I would like us today to recognize uh, the conflict in our lives. Maybe your conflict is, is with a friend, or maybe it's with a spouse, or maybe it's with a parent, or a child, or a coworker, or maybe you have zero conflict in your life, in which case I say, can we pl please trade lives for a few days? Uh, maybe, but, but chances are some of us have some type of conflict somewhere in our lives. Recognize that, and then ask the question, how can I receive this conflict as a gift? How can I receive this conflict as an opportunity to grow? And then how can I bring glory to God through my role in this conflict? So I'd like to start in Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1. We're going to continue in this narrative of Jesus' birth, okay? So Matthew, chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. The birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. It took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, so they're engaged to be married, before they came together, before they were intimate with each other, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So do we see some conflict already here? 
there's a lot of potential for conflict when your uh, fiancé uh, uh, that you have not had relations with says, hey, I'm, I'm pregnant and it's God's baby, okay? Uh, do we see that there's some opportunity for conflict? Of course. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, he resolved to divorce her quietly. He said, I'm just going to divorce this woman. I'm going to send her away. Um, And he says, you know what? I don't want harm to come to her. I'm going to send her away quietly. Not going to make a big deal out of it. But as he considered these things, now that word consider is a really important word. It tells us that Joseph didn't just react. You ever find that when conflict happens, you find yourself reacting rather than responding? Joseph did not just react. He took a minute. And he considered what is the, the wise, the just, the faithful course of action. And in that space where he provided God a little space to work, this is where I often fail, I suspect you fail here sometimes too, as he's considering it, he's giving God space to work. And as he's considering, God speaks to him. An angel of the Lord appears to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. You will call his name Jesus, which means God saves, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Isaiah had written, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph awoke from his sleep, he did just as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he did not know her until he had given birth, till she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Um, we see all kinds of different levels of conflict, layers of conflict here in this passage. There's internal conflict, probably on both Joseph and Mary's part. There's this internal conflict we see specifically with Joseph of what do I do? Do I divorce her? Which, even though they're not married yet, that was the term for breaking off the engagement too. Do I, do I send her away? Do I break this relationship? Uh, you ever experience internal conflict where you're just like, what's the right thing to do? And then there's this interpersonal conflict between uh, Joseph and, and Mary. There's this, she's like, hey, I'm, I'm expecting, and, and, and it's God's baby, and he's like, I've never heard of that. And, and I'm sure that might have made date night a little weird for a couple of weeks, you know? Like, there's this interpersonal conflict between them. And then there's this social conflict where, where Joseph and Mary are both aware of, um, this is, you know, when, when Mary starts to, to, to have a baby bump, there's going to be some questions amongst their peers and in their community about what's the timing of this. And, and then even deeper than all of that, we're going to find in, in Revelation 12 and, 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 and Ephesians 6 that beyond all of these conflicts, there's a spiritual conflict. And there's the enemy, the, the evil one who's stirring the pot and wanting to destroy Jesus. And so, but we see uh, here in this passage uh, that Joseph stewarded conflict as an opportunity to glorify God. When we talk about stewardship, we often think about like our time and our money, how, how we manage those things. But every time we experience conflict, we have a stewardship opportunity from God. We have a management opportunity from God. How will I manage this? How will I steward this? Will I be caught up in, uh, in God's glory or my own? So when we have a disagreement, we often react rather than respond. Some of us react by avoiding altogether. We have any avoiders in the house? You don't have to raise your hand. Just avoid it. But we have, so some of us, some of us um, react by, by uh, just totally withdrawing and avoiding and escaping conflict. And, 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 and some of us react uh, by attacking. 
I'm going to go on the attack. I'm going to hurt you before you can hurt me. And maybe we flip back and forth between those two things. But probably for most of us, we have a typical conflict style. And, and, and most of our conflict styles is either to err on the side of attack or err on the side of withdraw. And, and that's the way we react. But if, if, if that's our reaction, it's not necessarily a spirit-led thing. And so we need to be aware. If we're going to grow in our conflict style, we need to be aware of what is my conflict style. You need to know if you're a withdrawer or if you're an attacker. You need to know where you are on that spectrum if you have any uh, hope of, of growing. And so be aware of what is my conflict style. Is my reaction to defend myself or is my reaction to defeat the other person? So one way to move out of that cycle of reactivity is to ask this simple question, how can I glorify God in this situation? Now that, that is a simple question. It almost seems too simple. And it's not like that makes all the problems or all the issues go away. But that's a question that takes us from like that fight, flight, freeze part of our brain called the reptilian brain. And it brings us up here to the prefrontal cortex where we start to ask deeper questions. And just pausing and saying, in this conflict with my spouse, in this conflict with my friend, in this conflict at church, in this conflict with my boss who doesn't know anything, or in this conflict with my employer, whatever, how can this be a situation where God gets glory? Conflict is an opportunity to glorify God. And on the other side, the flip side of that is if you live a life seeking to glorify God, you will experience conflict. Who glorifies God more than Jesus? Remember how that played out? He went to the cross. Conflict is inevitable. And conflict is an opportunity to show honor and praise to God. Conflict is an opportunity to trust and obey God. God's laid out a process in Scripture for how to work through conflict. And if we rely on God's wisdom, not our own, conflict is this great opportunity to grow in trust and obedience to God. In this uh, narrative of Joseph and Mary, Joseph had to be willing to take his eyes off of himself and put his eyes on God. In conflict, do you find that your eyes turn to me? Me and Will find that? Anybody else? <laughs> you find that it really is easy in a time of conflict to get me-focused and me-centered, and the world gets really small, and it's all about me, 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 me. It's easy to get caught up in my reputation when there's, especially if it's a, con, a public conflict, it's really easy to get caught up in my reputation. And, uh, and what are people going to think of me? And think about how this would have played out if Joseph's decisions had been driven by guarding his own reputation. This would have played out tragically for Mary and for baby Jesus if Joseph's decisions had been driven by how can I guard my reputation? But by the grace of God, Joseph was more concerned with God's reputation than his own. And this is a critical key when it comes to conflict. As we're, if, if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, we as the church, how we steward conflict reflects on God's reputation. God's character is unchanging. God's character is the same regardless of what we do. But people look at us and they get a picture of what's God like. Uh, we, uh, how we steward these situations affects and impacts people's perception. It affects God's reputation. And often the way Christians handle conflict makes God's reputation 
look pretty bad, right? The way we treat one another, the way we address one another, the way we, the way we disagree, even, even uh, sp- uh, spouses or, or friendships or people at work, people in church, whatever. Um, in conflict, it's easy to get me-centered. Me Think about my offense, my hurt, my pride, my rights. Um, but if we take our eyes off of ourselves and say, how can... Uh, am I going to be caught up in my reputation or God's reputation? That's a shift in perspective. Um, so conflict can be an opportunity to glorify God. If we'll just ask that question, how might God want to receive glory from this situation? It doesn't make, again, all the problems go away, but it gives us a different perspective. Next, conflict is an opportunity to grow. Uh, I, I would love it if I could just grow and you could just grow without any kind of pain whatsoever. Um, but my heart is prone to wander. And I'm prone to, uh, when I get uh, comfortable, I'm prone to kind of getting fat and sassy and thinking, you know, again, it's all about me. And so there's, there's ways that I grow and you grow in conflict that, that we wouldn't grow any other way. And so, again, we've all developed these styles and these habits and these go-to conflict responses. And, 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 and um, some of us avoid conflict at all costs. Uh, and, and we seek to escape conflict at all costs. And some of us are like a dog just chasing every car that drives by. And we need to think about where am I on that spectrum. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. They will be called children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. And that word peacemaker really is an active, to be a peacemaker, this is an active, engaged thing. Um, a, peacemaker, a peacemaker or peacemaking is this active process of responding to conflict in such a way to restore unity, peace, and justice. Peacemaking takes into account unity, peace, and justice. It doesn't just say, oh, I'm going to pretend that the conflict isn't there. Uh, and it also refuses to make it all about me. It addresses conflict in a God-honoring way. Ken Sand wrote a great book called The Peacemaker. And he offers a contrast. I think we've got an an image of it up there. I don't know how well you can see it. But this is called uh, The Slippery Slope of Conflict. And over here on this side, you've got got escape responses, which he calls peace faking. Um, So peace faking is what happens when we have a problem with each other we both know we have a problem with each other, and we see each other, and we say, oh, hi, how are you? It's so good to see you. Oh, man, this is great. Oh, and then we go, then, and then you turn around and go, that old so-and-so, blah, 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 blah. Peace faking is when we sit by, you know, we sit by each other at Thanksgiving lunch and just grit our teeth and get, and then we say, oh, thanks so much for having us. Oh, man, let's do it again next year. Are we familiar with the peace faking thing? No, no. Peace faking says peace, peace when there is no peace. Peace faking is just about the image. It's about looking a certain way out here. And then peace breaking is this other extreme of I'm going to be authentic, so I'm just going to tell you exactly what I think all the time. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to walk around making judgment calls about everything, whether it affects me or not. And so I tend to be on the peace breaker side, and it's something that God, why are you laughing, Will? And it's something that God has to, has to, uh, 
It's something that God, by His Spirit, has to work on me and has worked on me and continues to work on me. Um, and, and, and so uh, this, this created a lot of issues in Sandana's marriage, uh, especially early on, the first <laughs> decade or so. Um, you know, uh, Sanda, uh, her, her response to conflict was to withdraw, and my response to conflict was to escalate. And the more I would escalate, the more she would withdraw, and the more she would withdraw, the more I would escalate. And before long, uh, replacing the toilet paper uh, roll had become World War III, and it would just always be about, or so often it was just about something dumb, but, but she would withdraw, I would escalate, and it just kept going and going and going. And peacemaking for us was this process of learning one another's conflict styles and repenting of, uh, repenting of the extremes of our own conflict styles. So peacemakers say, peace, peace, when there is no peace, they avoid, but listen, until they explode. The peacemaker that's like, oh, everything's great, I'm good, no big deal, eventually an explosion will happen. And the thing is, if we overlook things that we shouldn't overlook, that we should confront, we're going to end up confronting things that we should overlook. There's, there's things in our lives that are maybe huge traumas and really big deals, and we've overlooked those things. And so as a result, instead of confronting the thing we need to confront, we find ourselves confronting a bunch of stuff that doesn't even matter. Does anybody relate to that? The peace faker is me-focused. Say, man, I, I know I need to have this conversation, but it sounds really uncomfortable. I'd rather not do that. The peace breaker is you focused. You need to do this, and you need to do that, and you need to do this. But the peacemaker is us focused. How do we, you, me, and Jesus, restore relationship? Peacemaking is very different from peace faking or peace breaking. Repentance for the peace faker is, is ask God, God, by your spirit, would you help me have that conversation? Would you help me address this thing so that you can be glorified and so that I can grow? Repentance for the peace breaker is something like, Lord, help me to hush. Help me to listen. Help me to, to hear what other people are saying and value unity and diversity. Matthew 7, 5 says, Jesus is talking about the person that condemns and he says, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. The first step in any conflict, this is marriage, this is friendship, this is work, whatever, is to say, what is the log in my eye? You're not going to get any further until we start there. He says, first, take the log out of your own eye. And so whatever the situation is, um, we need to say, you know, where is it that God needs to address sin in my life? Draw the circle around you and say, God, what do you want to change in me? What do you need to address in me? And so many times we twist this scripture to, to come off like you should never confront anybody. It's not what Jesus is saying. What does he say? He says, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Jesus wants you to be able to lovingly confront other people. He wants you to be able to walk alongside others and help them. You just can't do it, and I just can't do it if I've got a self-righteous log sticking out of my eye. So first, we address what's up with us. 
And maybe we need to do that in community with other people that know us. And, and if, you're, if your community just says, oh, you're so awesome, they're the problem. And if that's all, then, then you need a more honest community, okay? Thank you. First, take the log out of your eye, and then go help your brother. You'll see clearly to, to help your brother or your sister take that log or that speck out of their own eye. So how do I know what to do in this? You know, conflict is an opportunity to grow, and it's an opportunity to give grace to other people. Um, so how do I know if a conversation needs to happen or if I just need to, in the words of Elsa, let it go? right? Well, we need to ask the question, has someone's dignity, has mine or someone else's dignity been damaged? Um, Has God's reputation been damaged or will God's reputation be damaged by this behavior? Um, Is dignity being harmed or am I just offended? And if it's in that level of I'm just offended and, you know, and, and, and it's kind of a surface level thing, that probably falls under the category of just walk it off, you know? Um, pray, ask God to help you, and he'll help you let that go. Um, but if someone's dignity is being harmed and God's reputation is being damaged, then we need to lovingly confront this issue. And again, if we overlook things that should be confronted, we will end up confronting things that should be overlooked. And so if it's time to move into that going and talking to our brother or sister, Jesus gives us a great pattern over in Matthew chapter 18, beginning in verse 15. Matthew 18, beginning in verse 15. He says this, If your brother sins against you. And and so, um, it's almost like Jesus is just taking it for granted that in community, even in Christian community, even in marriage, We are going to sin against each other. This is going to happen. Don't be surprised by it. Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. So the first step is, if possible, if there's safety and and, and it's not a danger to do this, go talk to your brother or your sister one-on-one and say, hey, here's what's going on. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along. You widen the circle a little bit. Take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen even to them, tell it to the church. Now that might mean the whole church, that might mean like your life group, the people you're doing community with. And if he refuses even to listen to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. That doesn't mean, um, you know, snub the person at the grocery store. How does Jesus treat Gentiles and tax collectors? He treats Gentiles and tax collectors as people that need to be one to the Lord. He treats them with grace, with dignity, um, He gives a real clear process here for how we address conflict. You first, if possible, go one-on-one. Then you widen the circle. Then you widen the circle a little bit more. And the goal here is not to win the argument. The goal here is to win your brother. And if you're paying attention to the log in your eye, there's going to be things that you're going to concede, and you're going to say, you know what, I probably, I did this wrong. And they're going to say, yeah, I did this wrong. But along the way, you will encounter unreasonable people. And be prepared for the possibility that you are an unreasonable person. And that's why he kind of gives all of these steps here in this process.
So Matthew 18 gives us that pattern. Galatians 6, 1 and 2 tells us how we walk through this. He says, if any one of you are caught in sin or transgression, you who are spiritual, you who are mature, should go and restore that person to the Lord in a spirit of gentleness. The goal of confrontation is restoration. All right. Um, Colossians 3.13 says, Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Um, conflict is an opportunity to imitate Jesus Christ. When we forgive, we're not saying, hey, this was no big deal. When we forgive, we're not saying it didn't matter. When we forgive, we're actually saying the opposite. We're saying what you did was so significant, it was so painful, that only the sacrificial atoning death of Jesus, only the blood of the perfect Son of God could ever restore relationship between us. Forgive has so often been twisted to be peace fake. Just pretend everything's okay. That's not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is... is um, you maybe may involve having that hard conversation. It may involve having a series of hard conversations, but ultimately forgiveness does not depend on how the other person responds. The kind of relationship you have moving forward will probably uh, depend on how they respond. But whether you forgive or not does not hinge on how the other person responds. So there's extreme examples like spousal abuse or sexual abuse. Um, look, if you're in a situation where you're being abused... Um, sometimes this gets cloudy and we think, well, I need to forgive this person so I don't need to report what they're doing. No, you call the police, you call for help, you tell people what's going on. You'll, yes, you can forgive them, but they also need to experience consequences for what they're doing. And, and so get out of that situation, okay? So if you're, if you're being uh, abused by your spouse, being abused by somebody else, you need to tell the truth, you need to call the authorities um, and get out of that situation. Forgiveness doesn't mean that there's no human consequences. Often there, there need to be human consequences. But forgiveness means we release and we re relinquish bitterness and we release this other person to God. Uh, behind all of these different layers of conflict, and we're wrapping up, um, Romans tw uh, Revelation, 12, Revelation 12 gives us this incredible picture, um, this really haunting picture of the birth of Jesus. Usually this isn't the version we tell around the Christmas tree drinking cider. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon at her feet, and on her head was a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains in the agony of giving birth, and another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the angels of heaven, uh, the stars of heaven, and cast them to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who was to rule the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne. This is a picture of the enemy, Satan, who was behind Herod, behind Rome, behind all these authorities, human authorities, the spiritual battle at play to destroy Jesus. Behind all of the earthly conflict, the, in, the, the, the inward conflict, the, the interpersonal conflict, the social conflict, there was a spiritual conflict. And, and Ephesians 6 tells us this about spiritual conflict. Ephesians 6 verse 10. Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, stand. 
we have to be reminded that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but there is a conflict between good and evil. There's a conflict between the forces of the Lord and the forces of the evil one. So that doesn't mean when your spouse is giving you a hard time, you say, you're acting just like Satan right now. I've tried it. Doesn't work, okay? That's not a good way to resolve conflict. And that doesn't mean that Satan is the is the author of every conflict in your, in your life. You know, we author plenty of conflict on our own, don't we? I mean, so much conflict happens that we just create because we're sinful and we're prone to wander. But, but where I see the enemy at play here is even if he isn't the source of conflict, man, he is johnny on the spot to stir the pot and to stoke the fire and to isolate you and to twist things up in our minds and to whisper lies to us. Um, be on your guard. Because a, a, a seemingly insignificant conflict uh, with someone you love, or someone you just kind of have to endure, <laughs> a seemingly uh, insignificant conflict can, through the forces of evil, become amplified and amplified and amplified. Uh, to where it, it, it kind of loses, you lose all sense of perspective. And that's because the evil one wants to destroy God's reputation. He wants to destroy your marriage because he wants, your, he, he wants to destroy God's reputation. Because your marriage is, is a symbol of covenant love. He wants to destroy unity at, in the workplace because he wants to make a laughingstock of the believers that are there. He wants, to, he wants the, the church to turn on one another uh, because he wants to destroy, the evil one wants to destroy God's reputation. He wants to make light of God's name. And so often we're pawns in that. So be watchful. Pray and be humble for your enemy roams around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. As the band comes up, I want us to, to end with the example of Jesus Christ. You know, <clears throat> the New Testament tells us that apart from Jesus, we're enemies of God. In our sin, we're dead in our sin, and there's enmity between us and God. Um, we were God's enemies before Jesus stepped in. If you haven't placed your trust in Jesus, you are not just a good old boy or good old gal who needs a little help. You are dead in sin and an enemy of Jesus. But look at how Jesus treats his enemies. He put on flesh like us. He came to us. He lived among us. We're still here. He lived among us. He humbled himself to the point of death even the death of a cross, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow. That's how Jesus treats his enemies. That's our example. God's not asking you to do anything that he himself hasn't done. From the cross, the victim of all human sin, Jesus could have shouted anything, and he shouted, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they do. Jesus came and he told us the truth. He didn't bat an eye at sin. He didn't wink at sin. He called sin, sin. And he did for us what we could never do for ourselves. 
So have you, for, have you received his forgiveness? And is there forgiveness you need to extend to someone else? Okay.